What's up, everybody? Clear Offline Podcast, episode five of season three. Talk about grassroots footy today. And I have a friend of mine on, Sydney Curtis. Sydney, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Buzzing to be on. Of course. Everyone uh, oh. on a podcast. Yeah, no. First time for everything, yeah. But um, topic of the day, really, is grassroots. And it's important uh, across the globe to have really strong grassroots football in a country. And I think prominently globally, um, something that, you know, is somewhat close to you and has become close to a lot of people no matter where they live is grassroots because of YouTube. And most notably, there teams like Cashtag. Our own Tom Barry has played for the reserves a couple of times. Then we have SC Dons and we have, we have what else? Um, they have Palmers. They're, I think they're known as kind of the original grassroots Sunday league team that's garnered support on YouTube. But from your experience, from young into now, what's your experience with playing grassroots been uh, for you? Well, I've played, uh, used to always play Sunday League till I was about 18. So that was, I, I loved it so much from around about 10 years old to 18 years old. I played for a team called Purley Panthers and absolutely loved it. We had boys coming from my school, ended up joining throughout the years. So I think we had a boy from my school join when I was in year seven, so when I was 11, and we still had another boy from my school join when we were 17. So we was constantly getting boys involved uh, in, gra- in our Sunday league team, Pearly Panthers. And it was, I remember our manager, John Small, used to put so much into it. He loved it, he loved all of us. He saw us go from little kids right up to, we was basically, we was men. We was 18, a few of us had gone into men's football before we finished under 18s. And I it was, we had cup finals where we'd get all of our friends down, all the family down. And it was so important for so much of us, not just in the kind of developing our football skills, but de- developing our social uh, social side of it. And I know f- I played football with boys I never went to school with, didn't really see outside of football until we was about 15, 16. But now they're like my best pals. As the team I play for now, Sporting 50, our team is basically built around that Pearly Panthers team that was up to under 18s. I think we've got double figures of the boys that were playing uh, in the under 18 season who are playing now in men's football. We don't play on a Sunday anymore. We've moved to Saturday league where you can kind of move through, through the leagues a bit more. There's, it's often a little bit more serious in a sense, but I don't want to discredit Sunday league. Certain Sunday league teams do make it serious and want to show how much quality there is in Sunday league, like Essie Dons, teams like that are just a very high standard. There's a team near me called Banstead Rovers that film all their games. Again, it's a very good standard. But for sporting, for grassroots, the way it's developed for me, going from being a little 10-year-old playing with Pogba Campers and still playing with some of them boys now, shows how important it is to just growing up. It's not just about the football, it's about growing up and making pals over here. Yeah, yeah. I think what something that struck me that was similar to what you were saying that I've had experience with is that um, in some club teams that you have, um, and I'll, I guess I'll include youth youth soccer over here as part of grassroots because I suppose that is kind of where it does start. You have people that you might know growing up from your first team you ever play on, and you play with them for ages. You play with them when you play in high school for your school team. You play on the club team with them. And then, you know, maybe honestly, some of the boys uh, that I've known and played with, they play um, at their unit for the university teams 
um, whether and, and that's mostly you know NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. They play on those teams together. So I think you see that, but probably not as much here because people can go and do so many places. I feel like over there, Sunday League retains people like yourself for a longer period of time, just because there's it's more local. If that makes sense, you you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I can't I can't speak for what it's like in America, but majority of Saturday Sunday leagues at our level is not really difficult to get to a game. Training's very easy to get to. It's easy to commute. Even if you don't drive, you can get buses, trains, easily get to places. Like, personally, for my team, I am the furthest away. I'm the furthest out. We play more into southwest London. I live more on the southeast yeah. London side. So, commuting to our home ground takes about 35 minutes in a car to drive. But that is as far as I'll have to travel. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot closer and a lot of the other boys, it's only 10, 15 minute drive. Yeah. No, I think, I think when I was growing up, you know, the saturation of clubs um, in England is so much more than here. And I'm talking about youth clubs and also just clubs that are men's semi-pro or men's professional teams. Of course, um, I had to travel a long way to get to training when I was a kid. Um, I'm talking about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour driving somewhere and I know that you all that's that's like that's a lifetime for you all to commute for an hour somewhere um you know usually you're used to having a commute of less than 45 30 minutes somewhere um so I think that the accessibility of, of grassroots in England is so much greater than here um youth wise I feel like you know I I don't know how much it costs for you to play for Pearly Panthers but over here the fees associated with playing you know youth travel soccer are immense. How much did it cost for you to play when you were a kid? Uh, probably around £135 for the season. That would include training once a week and games on a Sunday. Okay. What about kit? Any extra for that? I think that came, or the kit came with that as well. Okay. That's because, you know, the thing is with me is that they, the expenses for club teams was through the roof here. Um, and it was, you know, my parents putting in honestly, probably over my career as, as a youth player, a couple thousand dollars at least into it. Um, just because I think what you always had, you had uh, retailers here for kit, especially um, that would give you a team, a package. So you would get like two changes of top, couple shorts, couple changes of socks. Um, and then you'd get all this other additional stuff that I felt really as, as, being older now, I feel like it was unnecessary because you just had stuff that, like, I don't think a 13-year-old needs um, a, sw- a, a jumper, a sweater, and the training top. They probably don't need any of that. They have that already at home. So there's no – I feel like the – we might have thought growing up that, oh, everyone in England and everyone over there, they all have the right – they all are matching up. They have all the right kit. They have everything. But that really wasn't the case, I don't think. I think it was just like, you know, they had – they see you all seem more organized in soccer, taking more seriously over here because you probably put a lot more, like you're saying, your coach put in so much time into it and you enjoyed it so much. That was what was the serious aspect of it when it came down to winning and stuff like that. I, I remember when I was younger losing on a Sunday and being fuming. I was never, yeah. I, it was like the whole, the rest of my Sunday, I'd be angry. And we get that now playing in our uh, men's league on a Saturday. After we lost that first game, the journey home, I think one of my friends in the car just didn't even speak for 10 minutes. He was just fuming. 
even though we're not a very high, we're not the highest standard, our Saturday team, we're completely brand new. This is our first ever season. But uh, going on the finances, you said, this is our first ever season. So we've got some support from, we're a reserve team, we've got some support from the first team. But in terms of financing, we have to do it all by gaining sponsors. And uh, then we all put in 50 quid for the season and then £10 a game at the moment to kind of generate them funds for future years. So and get a good financial basis. But I think that's like, I don't know if you've got it quite as much as we do here, is getting sponsorship from small companies around you. We've Somewhere. been able to get sponsorships for our a brand new set of kits, match day kits, which we don't own. There's uh, Mike, our manager's nan, washes them every week. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen that, yeah, that she's a kit lady. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we've got tracks. We've got Training Top sponsored for us by one company. We've got uh, we're going to have a new sponsor for our training jackets and then we've got the separate sponsor on the kit we've got some sponsors who just put their, put a few bob towards it a bit, bit of money towards it and don't really get much out of it but there's a kind of big support from local businesses for grassroots and lower level football companies like Carling stuff like that do big uh, advertising campaigns where they'll offer to buy a Sunday League team a kit and that's another way of how it's a lot cheaper here by the sounds of it compared to what you're describing over in America. Yeah, I think that goes with just, you know, everything. I feel like everything plays into big picture of what, um, what the culture of a country is in regard to the sport. Because over here, I don't think a lot of businesses would sponsor a soccer team or a soccer club. I never had, there was never a kit sponsor on anything I wore at the youth level. I remember when uh, the club I was attached to, tried to have a men's semi-pro team a pub did sponsor them um and that was on the front of the kit but that was only for you know that that was the only time i think that you know w when you played for pearly did you have a sponsor on the front or was that yeah we uh, uh most teams you play against at that age always have a sponsor ours was uh my one of the boys dad's company just sponsored it mm -hmm. so we had uh, just what they do is just sponsor the kit they pay for all of the kit and just have the sponsor on the front yeah and you'll see almost every company you would ask will be willing to sponsor you. You saw how many sponsors Kent FC used to have when we played at uni, like the yeah. bar. All you have to do is ask and say, do you want to sponsor us? And the majority of companies go, yeah, are always happy to sponsor grassroots football. A lot of it comes down to grassroots football is uh, counts as a charity. Okay. So you can claim it as a charity, charitable donation sponsoring a grassroots football club. Mm -hmm. So you, you combine good PR with also, you know, not a you know good image. And then if it's a charity expense, it's not anything you have to like put into taxes. Is that correct? Something like that? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of Yeah. I mean, that, that's something where, you know, I'm sure the same thing would be the case over here, but again, I'm sure local businesses would rather put money into the local little league baseball team or the local football, like American football team. Because um, there's just more payoff with more kids doing that. Um, how the youth club run over here that I never really liked was that you had a lot of people, you had a board, and then you know the club would clubs would be massive over here. I think what you don't have over there is youth club Sunday league teams that are huge. Over here, youth clubs stake out parts of a state, parts of a region in a state, and you know it's like they're humongous. They have girls' sides, boys' sides. They have age groups up from, you know, under 
eight sevens, whatever, to, you know, an under 18 team if possible. So that's where here it's just a big money thing, but the money's so concentrated in the one club in the one kind of hierarchy to pay for everything um, and do a lot where the community's not in with it. I think, you know, you'll have some sponsors at, at smaller levels, like a club I played for, we, you know, I think there were some efforts to have community engagement, but it's just not on that same level over here as it is over there. And I think that's important because you, it is, it is community buy-in. And a lot of times, you know, people that you have on the kit, right? Like, you, you know, you probably know who's sponsoring you. Like you said, you knew your the teammate's dad. So it, that's the one thing that I think is different. And so that, that speaks to a lot about just what, um, where, where money talks. And so over here, money, I think, you know, what the biggest barrier is that money's not talking enough to soccer over here or vice versa. Um, so that's the biggest barrier that I think we have is that not, not enough money's in it. Um, I'm not going to say that fixes everything, but I think at a local level, like you're saying, that does go a long way. Yeah. We, uh, thinking back to what you said about the, you kind of have the state clubs for like a region of the state. So just down the road from me, there is, when I was younger, there was five clubs within walking distance of each other. And it wouldn't be just one team. They'd have under eights, under nines, under tens, under 11s, under 12s but that you could literally walk from one pit group of pitches in clubhouse to the next one, just next door. And the concentration of football clubs, Sunday league clubs around here, even Saturday league clubs, the concentration is massive. Anywhere you walk, you'll see a football ground or see football pitches wherever you are. I can't walk five minutes down the road without seeing about six, six football pitches. Yeah. That's the thing is what, you know, I think as someone who, we're brought up in the country and we're kind of in some respects you're not fine you're not seeking the seeking places to play out but it is more difficult sometimes to find like you know an indoor pitch you know there are only a couple places up in Maryland that have indoor pitches and booking those costs so much money because the weather turns poor around in Maryland around this time and even into you know February and March it's really bad um, I don't know what you all would do. I don't really know how much indoor space is there. I know there, I think most of the pitch, most of the facilities I've seen for footy are outdoor pitches that are grass, some Astro like we had at Kent, and then you have five-a-side pitches. But, you know, I feel like with, with like the, with just having clubs not, not around as much, you know, you have places that your the team, the U team will train, but in, it's, it's spread far apart probably because there's one more space in this country. And then two, it's just not, it's not as big of a culture. I think a lot of Americans are brought up and, you know, they, they wonder what it's like to culture wise and what you're saying that walk of five minutes down the road and you see half a dozen pitches is something that a lot of people would dream of in this country. Um, and, you know, you can even, and that's also you living in the city. I think I've heard that there's been more of an investment into having, um, more facilities and all that stuff. And another issue that I've heard from family out in, in Essex and Colchester area is that, you know, you can, there are a lot of floodlit pitches around London and everything. There are a lot of really nice pitches around London, but out as you get towards the rural, rural areas of this, of England, there aren't as many. So I don't know what, if you've had an experience of that as far as traveling and seeing lack of resources, depending on places, but um, that's kind of just what I've heard. When, I, uh, well, when we played for Kent on a Saturday, the games were a little bit more spread out because uh, Kent's a very, is a, one of the most rural yeah. places, if not the most rural in England. No, of course. And 
you would struggle there to find a nice pitch. Whereas the standard we were playing on the Kent Saturday wasn't necessarily that low. But if you were to go to an equal kind of standard around London, I feel like you would come across better pitches. Some of the pitches that we did play on for Kent were awful. I can remember one, Paddock Wood basically being in a farm. And I was going to say, I feel, like, I feel like some of those pitches are just like farm fields that you stick up lines on and posts and, st- and shit. <laughs> well, for us, Bolton, we haven't come across. We played in a park. There's one game which was not the greatest pitch. The pitches are never amazing. They're never clean. They're never flat grass mm-hmm. carpet pitches like we sometimes got for Kent playing other universities. But the majority of the time, it will be just playing in a park. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what you say about indoor pitches, you'll find over here, you get so many cancellations as we get to this point. As we get to November, end of November, the games start to get cancelled regularly. You'll find the waterlogged pitch is the most common one. I must have had about six to seven games called off last season because of waterlogged pitches. So there is the same issue of you can't always play every weekend when the weather turns bad. You have, do have options because we don't get as much. We don't get a lot of snow. That's the only thing that will really bring anything to a complete standstill is snow. Because you can still go and if you've got access to an Astro turf or a 3G 11-a-side pitches, then games can still go ahead. And if you like, if you play five-a-side in the, in the week, then games will always go ahead because it's hard. They're less likely to get waterlogged because of the surface. It's easier to drain. Yeah. No, of course. Going back to what I said at the beginning, touch on this real quick. When what do people in England really think of? And I have an idea of this, and you know, I know that it might be pretty one sided because I follow I follow the Dons on Twitter and on Instagram, and so you see a lot of people like if you quote one of their tweets, they retweet it. So they're always showing people that people are supporting them. What are the actual opinions of these teams in in England over there? And I'm talking about you know our just like our. Tom Barry playing for hashtag reserves. What are the opinions of those guys? Because obviously they've taken it to hold another level and they're somewhat of celebrities now, wouldn't you say? Uh, well, I find around where I live, I'm not too far from uh, where SE Dons. I've played for a team yeah. who were in SE Dons League and I don't think they've got as much traction around our age group. Oh, really? For- Okay. So my age group, I wouldn't say okay. many of us watch it. I can't speak for everyone, but my f- group of friends and my team, I can't. I don't think many of them religiously watch SE Dons. They'll more watch if they do can't. They'll watch Bansted Rovers because they know a few boys that have played from in the past and stuff like that. But uh, in terms of YouTube for what I can see how it's developing. Like I watched the hashtag game because I saw Tom Barry playing. Yeah, I did too. I, yeah. I've seen how popular it is. I've only reason I've really seen how popular it is because I've read about how popular it is. I haven't really experienced yeah. that the rising popularity. I wouldn't ever have a conversation about it with anyone. No, I don't think I would either, honestly. But I can see that there's a lot of there's a big emphasis now on social media profiles for lower league clubs and kind of non-league amateur clubs are trying to produce their own social media to kind of make them stand out and keep people updated because beforehand it was there was really nothing for non-league and I do think that their impact for non-league clubs and their social media accounts has is more noticeable 
as more clubs are doing it. We played a game in pre-season against a team called AFC Yule and they had their own camera set up and was able to film the game, which when I was younger would have been unheard of for a game to be filmed. But more and more t teams are doing it because there is a genuine interest in watching Sunday League and uh, lower league Saturday football. Yeah, I, I think it, at first I was taken aback by you saying that, you know, people of our age group, I know you're older than me, won't really watch those. And then I thought to myself, what was last, when was the last time I have watched one of those games? Um, you know, and they, the Dons make episodes that are like 20, 30 minutes long. So you have to have a considerable amount of time on your hands to watch those. So I think, I was thinking to myself, well, actually, you look at who is kind of in their videos as far as like they shout out fans or who's retweeting them. And I think a lot of it is, is teenagers. Um, and then also, I think there are a lot of dads that will take their young kid, like I'm not, kids that are younger than teenagers to the football to watch them because it's it's a positive example for community's sake and everything and to be fair I mean at, you know I this is only from me hearing what they've been saying but you know from what I've been gathering it Lewisham was not a nice area 10 years ago by any means um, and I don't know how you know I I don't think you I know you live in South Croydon compared to Croydon which I I know there is a difference but have these teams, in your opinion and other people's opinions, been able to um, bolster, you know, community togetherness and be able to bring people together versus having, you know, having violence in, 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 in the Met and all that stuff? Uh, I think this has, does have a positive experience, uh, positive influence, sorry, because just that kind of, it does garner that community spirit and by people watching it, people can realise even if they don't make it as a footballer, you still get that kind of belief for wanting to win and get that really good feeling if you win from watching how passionate they are about playing for their Sunday team. And I think there is a could be the argument that some people beforehand were maybe less inclined to show off their Sunday league side because everyone assumed Sunday league was a bunch of old geezers, hungover, yeah, beer bags out, running around the pitch, slide tackling and getting sent off every week. Whereas they've shown that there is a real quality for Sunday in Sunday League. And the same with Saturday League. There is a lot of quality in the lower divisions uh, that sometimes people kind of forget about. And they assume if you're not playing a high standard of football, you're not getting paid, you're not semi-professional or professional, that you, you don't have any ability. But they've shown that you can be proud to play at a lower standard, of, not necessarily a lower standard, they are better than a lot of teams higher up in the pyramid on a Saturday. But to play just for your community, just for the fun of playing, you can still be proud of that and you can still feel like you're achieving something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one, one thing that I think that is a big deal right now is a lot of fans are getting fed up with the money that's associated with Premier League football. And I know that my cousin, who played for uh, Arsenal as a boy and then West Ham as a pro, and then um, won the FA Vars with Billy Ricky Town, doesn't watch that, doesn't watch um, the top flight just because he, he doesn't care for it. Um, and I don't know, he doesn't really watch much football in general, but do you, have, do you feel the sense that people would be more inclined to turn out for your matches at Sporting 50 and other non-league matches compared to spending a lot of money to go even, you know, to a home or away match for a bigger club, per se? Uh, I feel there is a good selling point for watching like, our stand, the football of people all can, it's quite, it's a lot easily, a lot more easily accessible. You can just go down to the park and watch, especially in the current climate when you can't actually go watch 
Premier League football. That is you are, true. You are allowed to go watch uh, the kind of non-league football and still get the enjoyment of watching football, which you can't get in elite uh, elite standard. Which elite standard is actually down to Division Six in the pyramid. So that's still non-league football. There's still a standard of that which you can't actually go. Yeah, yeah. Back. That's National League, correct? National League and National League South, North and South. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense, especially in this time, um, because it's, it is so much easier. And I think it just to the, the thought of just how cheap it is, I forget how much the tickets were for going to watch Bill Rickey Town play when I was um, last in England, but they were pretty cheap. And I think food there was pretty cheap as well and all that stuff. It, may, it makes sense. Um, what are some of the other benefits? Um, and we're you know, about to wrap up here in about five ten. What are some of the other benefits of non-league Sunday league that you can see either personally or then just, you know, on a larger scale? Uh, on a personal scale is the uh, camaraderie that you get playing with a lot of the time it's a group of pals. So you kind of work for your friends. I'll include Kent FC in this as well. They're kind of playing for there was all your pals, you go out with each other in the evening, you have that social aspect and then you put everything on the pitch for each other. And I found that very much with sports here. We had kind of a group of, one group of lads who were friends who kind of linked with our group of lads who were friends from Burley Panthers. And from playing football together now, we're all pals. We can all go, we can't all go for a beer at the moment, but we're waiting for that opportunity to all go for a beer as a big group. And there's a real community not I wouldn't say community because it's not so wide reaching in Sporting 50 but there's a kind of community within itself where everyone's excited to go training we all have a laugh before and after the game we're having a joke in the group chat that is one of the most important things that I think grassroots and lowest league football brings and when you spoke about SE Dons and kind of how it can impact a, a struggling area and uh, to help keep kids away from crime and certain areas like that. Personally, I've had no experience with it, but I can see how that community spirit can develop through the support of a football team. And that is what I, how I'd say to have a wide-reaching, a wider-reaching audience, is it's not, not just one club, like Sporting 50 is my club that I play for and I've got my mini-community there, but the Sunday League as a whole has its own community aspects surrounding it and not just Sunday League also lower Saturday League like what we play in for sporting no what are any drawbacks to you know I think you know we all could want better pitches and everything um and we you know probably there's some other things that might you know might be drawbacks but what what are they if there are any negatives to this that you think could be improved upon what are they it seems like you know it seems like it's pretty peachy at the moment but um, is there anything that you know would be better? You, one thing that pops in my mind before I let you talk about it is: Do you think that more players should be scouted at these matches on Saturdays and Sundays in in these leagues, or do you think that it's kind of fine the way it is? I think as you get to that older men's football, there is some definitely some quality players there that could play higher levels, but uh, there is players do get missed. There's a lot of players that do get missed. I feel. But I feel that comes from a younger age. From about when you get to twenty, you're less likely, I find, to find someone who can really accelerate. I know you've got examples of like Jamie Vardy who can, who have done. Yeah. There probably is a few more out there that have been missed. But I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a massive 
problem in scouting. That's my personal opinion. Other people would probably think very differently to me. But then one thing I might say that could is a drawback with Sunday and Saturday league is it's hard for referees and referees, I think, are going to continue to decline. As, as, as much as I love having a go at a referee, sometimes when I'm not playing, I do feel sorry for him and think about how hard a job it can be. I've seen, I've seen a game this season where I've had the other teams had two players sent off. One for, uh, it was actually Michael Schmeidel who played for Kent. He gave away a penalty and the goalkeeper was so aggrieved with the penalty decision, he was really giving it to the ref. And the ref just had to send him off. And the ref was generally a bit bit nervous at the abuse yeah. he was doing. So we said to the ref, don't worry, just talk to us. You'll, you'll be fine. There is a genuine problem, I think, that the referees don't necessarily get the right level of respect. Sometimes I think it's understandable if a player can, has a go at a ref. If it gets abusive, then there's a, hundred, there's a massive problem. But I can, if people want to argue on decisions, say ref, I don't agree with your stuff like that. Oh, ref, what are you doing? That's fine. That is professionals do that. Refs expect yeah. that. It's when it gets to that next level of when there's real abuse and the refs start quitting. I think there's been a stat of two refs in our league have already quit. So that is a problem that I think is very prevalent in lower league football and Sunday yeah. league football. It's just like a human decency thing or is it that, you know, it's a stereotype or just like kind of... I think it's... People aren't, people aren't like classy enough. They're just wrong, you know what I mean? I, some people, it's only football that'll be like that. They'll be a yeah. gentle, relaxed person then it'll come to football and then all of a sudden they're very aggressive and angry. And that is... I don't want to say it is, it's not, it is a lack of human decency because it's not. Because the people who are often, a lot of people who do it are outside of football, decent humans. But on the football pitch, some people's competitive edge gets over them. And you wouldn't see it in any, anything else you would do where someone would start shouting at someone who was in charge. Yeah. You wouldn't see it work or anything. But when it comes to football, people are, I, I can't really argue too much because I'm always having a go at the ref as well. Not, not Never too bad, but I'm always giving him a bit saying, ref, come on, what are you doing? How's that foul? That kind of stuff. Which I think is normal, but then when yeah. it gets to the next level, it does become a problem. No, I think I think it definitely um, that's definitely an issue. I didn't think about that at the top of my head. Um, I wonder what you know. You wonder how many you know in, in this age. You wonder how many programs you can actually make, how many online seminars you can make to have people become educated. I don't really know if that's the answer. I think that it's kind of just a problem that is somewhat inherent um, because. Really, like, if you're a Sunday League footballer, there's not really much of a consequence if you get sent off and you miss a couple of matches because it's Sunday League. But if you're a pro and you get carded and you get sent off, you miss, I think, what is it? Martial was carded in the Premier League and he's... Yeah. It wasn't for descent for a ref, to a ref, but it was, for, uh, it was for a tackle or something. He's out for three matches, I think, or so, something like that. Um, it's not even, you know, the, the risk of doing that is so much lower in that level that I feel like people will probably always do that. Don't you agree? Yeah, you get fines and you can miss games, but I think there needs to be a lot stricter bans on certain actions. If someone gets very abusive to a referee and is being held back by people, as it is in the Highlands, if someone did that in a Premier League game, they'd be facing up to like six months out for some of the yeah. behaviour and see it grassroots. 
and there needs to probably be a better way of tracking that because it's quite easy to get sent off one week in Sunday league or lower Saturday league and just come back the next week. Yeah, no, I remember one match at Ken FC. It was like Kai Beck had been sent off and Reese had brought him to the game because he's like, look, if it's the same ref, just you know, lay low, sit on the bench. But if it's not, then come play. So that's kind exactly. of the thing where you, you can get around that so easily because the chances you have in the same ref week in and week out are very slim. Even you know, from my experience, you usually don't have the same ref. Usually when I, uh, when I was younger, you used to have cards. And before every game, you had to show your football card to the ref. He'd check them so that if there was anyone who wasn't signed on to the team, they, could, uh, they couldn't play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, I, don't, I don't really know why that's not a thing anymore because if a player was sent off the week before, if the ref got given a note saying this person is banned before the game, yeah. Why? And if he saw the card and went, well, no, you're not either you're not this person on this card or this is your card, I know you're banned, then it's quite simply yeah. quite avoidable in my eyes. No, I think also the the kind of people want to get around that because there is such a camaraderie. They want to play every week. And so if they if they mess up, it's like, well, whatever, I still want to play. And you know, you have that investment into it, and it's a very um, prideful thing and people are really aggressive about it as they kind of should be because it is something where you you have a lot of your friends playing with you and you always want to put out the best for them a um, couple more a couple more minutes here then we have to go of course Sid but um, going back to our our days at Ken FC I only I only had two appearances I wasn't with the club for a long time but what's if you can kind of sum up you know we we both know about you know all the camaraderie as far as often on the pitch and at training. We all know about that. But what are some things that might be lesser down on your mind about the experience at uni um, for three years, I believe, with that club? And how that how, – how did Ken FC play into the identity of who you were and then how the, the identity of the whole school? Because, of course, you know, sports at Ken, you know, rugby, football, were backed pretty well by the student body. At times, it was there was some there was rugby got a bit more back in than football, but that was because yeah. there was a bigger club. But I don't really think it shaped the university too much. It shaped the kind of university life in terms of the social side of university, but not, not so much the uh, university's kind of image outlet. Before university, I didn't really know about university sports, whereas I knew about university academics. I thought that's unless you know somebody who's at university, they'll tell you about sports. But in terms of the way they advertise it, they don't really heavily advertise sports. So I don't think it had too much of an impact there. But in terms of the social side, it was almost a points everything for a lot of people. Because you'd go out with your football team or go out with your sports society in the week, you play for them on the Wednesday, and then you play for them on the Saturday for some societies. So it, was, it really did take up a lot of your time. So it was very important to people. But then I've found personally, I've kind of brought that over. I love being a part of like the committee of Kent FC and helping run a football club. And I didn't want really to let that go. So initially, I tried to set up my own football team with my friends, but we found a few difficulties with the... We wanted to set a brand new football team and completely afresh. A few difficulties because of coronavirus, contacting the FA. Got offered this opportunity with Sporting 50 to be their second team and still be able to use all of our players and get a few other players that we were missing at the time. And I've been able to bring all of that in. I've loved feeling like I'm in charge a bit more, where we have to get our own sponsors. We have to 
organise pitch fees, we have to organise refs, we have to organise training ourselves. I really enjoyed that and Kent FC gave me my first taste of that. And I've like running fitness sessions in pre-season for sporting. I've loved doing that all because I've had that kind of experience running training sessions at Kent. Yeah, no, of course. It is, it's interesting how that did prepare you for now. And I don't think you know, there would be any doubt in my mind that she would be one to take on those responsibilities at the moment because you did, you were pulling a lot of strings back when we were playing together. Um, what I was struck me, this is, I'll end off on this and ask you to talk about what Sporting 50 actually is. I believe it's a charity um, to end it off. But what has struck me about, you know, just in general, culture of football here versus here versus England is that first time I ever had any, you know, chance with a team, like first time we ever, you know, had any, you know, anything like that, any system of fines, any like any tight knit kind of group chat was at Ken FC. Throughout my years at playing with the youth team, we never had a group chat where we were all um, joking around. We never had um, a fine system at the club, probably because, you know, we, we already paid so much money to put into the team. There was no point of like saying, hey, if you're late, you have to do this. Um, even like physical, probably, you know, some physical punishments like push-ups or whatever, that would be it. But, you know, no, no team chance, no like, no, we wear black, no, we wear white, none of that. Like there was none of that over here. I feel like what England has as far as culture, even just something simple as a club chant, is so is, is so important and it brings people together um, and we don't have that over here it's kind of a shame I don't really think that's a cure-all for anything at all but I think there are certain little things in grassroots that help um, with atmosphere that we don't have over here um, but you have any last thoughts on that and then um, if you do or don't afterwards um, tell us a little more about Sporting 50 as like an organization and then uh, we'll cap it off. Uh, with, I'll quickly say about Sporting, uh, it was, I don't really know where the name came from, it was set up by a group of other boys, uh, with uh, one of the boys and his dad set it up in 2013, that's why I know about Sporting 50 in the first team, and it are, we're kind of a separate entity to that, but we also share the name, have reserves in it, and they support, they, to help us get started, They've the first team supported us in the beginning, but now we kind of are our own, we get our own sponsors, we run it all as pals. Uh, but we're just a sport just a new team that we started up uh, with all of our mates, Sport 50 Reserves. Started making all the social media, got our Instagrams, got our Twitters, got our Facebook, got everything. And we all wanted something to be a part of outside of work because we all work full time, majority of us. So we wanted that kind of release on the weekend where we can be proud of something. And we are proud of it. We've The more and more we go on, the more we get excited about winning games, playing good football. We talk in the week. We've uh, got a group chat. There's always everyone's always chatting. It's not just for sporting now as well. Today I'm going to help out one of the boys and his, a few of the boys in their five-a-side team because they need a player. So we're not just seeing each other on a Saturday or on a Tuesday for training. We're seeing each other multiple times in the week. So it's it's what you probably don't. I I can't really put my finger on why you wouldn't get it as much in America, but it might be down to the fact that football is pretty much everything at times here. We'll go play football together. Then we'll say, what, what are we all doing for the 5.30 game? Where are we going to watch that? We'll go watch football. And then the next day, we'll talk about the football that's on. It's always weekends are just yeah. football, football, football. Yeah. Short, short answer to that is that it's just not as popular. Short answer to that is that I think here, what I've been thinking in the past couple of months is that it's a niche. It's a, mm-hmm. Soccer's a niche here. It's like, oh, you like that. That's cool. You're the one. For me, I've been told, you know, stick 
keep sticking to talking about it because not a lot of people in the country can talk about it intelligently. And so that's the thing is that I'm kind of happy that's the case because it could be easier for me to find the job in the sport because of that. But also long-term you think, well, look, if we're going to really gain any traction here, we have to make sure that um, this sport is popular to the everyday person. And that's just not it yet. It helps that we have a lot of good players right now playing in Champions League. And that will probably get a lot more people attracted because um, that's actual proof. I think to a lot of people when, you know, people on the street know who Messi and Ronaldo are, but the fact that there are two Americans now, actually, well, three, playing with those guys is massive. And that's where you get the correlation with. Um, so that's the thing is that we're, you know, this, this sport in this country is, is a sport, you know, that's you know, third or fourth in the running. Um, realistically, data might show otherwise in some aspects. But um, been a good conversation today, Sid. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about something you have a lot of firsthand experience with. And I know I could trust you to um, give me some good sound bites. So I appreciate it. No, it's cheers, Forrest. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. All right, everybody, that's it for episode five, season three. It's been a whirlwind. We're on a good track in it. Well, anyways, Thanksgiving's coming up soon, everyone. So we're going to make sure that we have some good content coming before that, before we take a break. Sid, I know you've never experienced Thanksgiving, but it's a great, it's a great thing. You, we all, we all need, we all need to make sure that um, everyone who's British gets a good taste of Thanksgiving at one point in their life. <laughs>